0: Data engineering touches every area of an organization. Engineers need a data platform to build search indexes and microservices. Data scientists need data pipelines to build machine learning models. Business analysts need flexible dashboards to understand the trends and customer uses of a product. Max Bueschmann is a data engineer who has worked at Airbnb, Lyft, and Facebook, He's the creator of two successful open-source projects, Apache Airflow and Apache Superset. And in a previous show, Max discussed data engineering at Airbnb and the usage of Airflow. In today's show, Max discusses the engineering of Apache Superset. Superset is an open-source business intelligence web application. Superset allows users to create visualizations, slice and dice their data, and query it. Superset integrates with the Druid a database that supports exploratory, OLAP-style workloads. One reason that Superset is distinctive is that it is a full open-source application. Many open-source projects are tools like databases, command-line tools, and web frameworks. But Superset is an open-source application that can be used by individuals who are not developers, so the potential audience is wider than the typical open-source tool built for engineers. Max joins the show to talk about his experience as a data engineer at Airbnb and Lyft, and the open source projects that he has started and led. A few events that we have coming up: we have a fireside conversation with Hasib Qureshi at Cloudflare on April third, twenty nineteen. We also have a hackathon at App Academy on April sixth, twenty nineteen. These can be found at softwareengineeringdaily.com/meetup for the April 3rd meetup and softwareengineeringdaily.com slash hackathon for the hackathon. The hackathon is for Find Collabs, a product that I've been building that allows you to find collaborators for your open source projects, your other projects, artistic projects, musical projects, and the hackathon is also virtual. You can find online collaborators to enter into the hackathon, or you can attend the App Academy in-person hackathon. In any case, the prize purse for the Hackathon is $5,000, so you're not competing for nothing. And you can enter by competing with any project, any cool project where you're looking for collaborators. We'd love to have you involved, so go to softwareengineeringdaily.com slash hackathon or findcollabs.com slash hackathon. And let's get on with the episode. Max Beauchemin, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thank you so much uh, to have me on the show again. Yes, our last episode was about Airflow and your work at Airbnb. You are the creator of Airflow. You're also the creator of Apache Superset, which we're going to talk about in a little more detail today. And you've worked in engineering at Lyft and Airbnb. So your background is at high-scale technology companies building data infrastructure, data visualization tools. And Superset is this open-source BI tool that was originally created when you were at Airbnb. Why did you create Superset?
1: Right. Yeah. So for context, I started probably working with data about 15 to 20 years ago. So I've been working using all sorts of data tools, data platforms. And yeah, more recently, I worked at Facebook, Lyft, Airbnb, where you know I was part of of the data tools team, building all sorts of data tools. And the reason, or, or the history, or the genesis of of Superset is really it came from a place where at the time at Airbnb we were uh, running a Druid cluster, a POC on a Druid cluster. And for Hackathon, I decided that it would be neat to just create a small tool to slice and dice the data that was in Druid. So at the time, Apache Druid did not have any sort of front end for it. So it was assumed that you'd probably write your own front end. And for hackathon, I just built this tool. Um, so that's how it all started. But quickly after this, decided to make this work, to make the, the hackathon tool basically work with Presto as well and with other databases that we use internally. And that kind of grew from from that point.
0: There are lots of different people within an organization that could potentially use a business intelligence tool like a superset, was there a type of user that you were optimizing for when you started working on superset?
1: Originally, I think we were just targeting at anyone who needs to explore data at Airbnb, right? So we had these, these great datasets in, in Druid and we wanted for people to just create their, their own visualization and result sets out of it. I think it catered kind of naturally early on to analysts and data scientists. An engineer but the tooling is so kind of fast and easy or the the tooling we were were building uh, so accessible that it was more about which data sets are in the database that this is more what would dictate who would use it at the time
0: there are so many BI tools in the world and most of them are closed source there are open source options. I'm not familiar with all of the open source options, but I know there are at least primitives for building BI tools like JavaScript components like D3JS, the, the charting library for visualizing data. When you started working on Superset, what was the landscape of available tools and why did you need to build your own new one when there's already so many BI tools out there?
1: Right. So there are a lot of open source libraries out there, and especially like in the data visualization space. One thing that's a lot less common, I think, in the open source space is just these these full-on products, right? So it's very common to have building blocks that are open source libraries and, and things like that. And I think it's more rare to see a full-on product that caters to, you know, an array of users or something that you would run in production as a service. Uh, I think there's also a lot of infrastructure that's open source, but we don't see, a, I think, you know, Airflow to a certain extent and Superset are a little bit of an outlier as there there's not that many of these these full on product open source solutions. And the reason why we are one of the advantages that we have working with open source, or having a product that's open source, is is that we can shape it to be exactly what we need it to be, which is very different than than when using vendor products. So clearly, one edge that uh, Superset had at or has at Airbnb and at Lyft over the vendor tools that they use, like. Tableau, Looker, things like Mode, is that we can make it exactly what we need to be and we can integrate it with uh, the databases and the solutions that we have internally. So more directly, while I was at Airbnb and part of the reason why Superset took off internally as an internal tool was that Tableau did not work very well at the time with Presto and Druid, which were our databases of choice. So then we come up with this open source tool that we can make work with, all of the the tooling and systems in our infrastructure. And another example of that is integration in regards to data access policy or security or authentication. We have full control over, over how this works because it's open source, because we can uh, alter and modify the code.
0: You touched on something there that what makes Superset unique in the category of open source BI tools is that it feels like a fully fledged product. And in the open source world, there is a wide range of types of software. There's command line tools that are barely formed and barely have any documentation, and you pull it from a repo and you have to figure out how it works. There's back-end tools that have more documentation, but they're still kind of hard to use by their very nature. And then there are open source tools where there is so much documentation there's such a good onboarding experience that it really opens up the tool to a wide range of people who can use it the one one shining example that comes to mind is wordpress everybody can use wordpress whether you are whether you want to hack on wordpress itself or you want to be somebody who just wants to run a blog or wants to run an e-commerce site why is it so important to have a highly accessible, fully formed product around that open source tool that you're building. Well, I'm
1: trying to think like first, there's not a lot of examples of, of these, you know, open source products. I think so, so it's kind of an uncommon thing. So the, the question is like, why is it important to have something that's yeah. well well formed? Or, exactly. or why why creating something like this?
0: Exactly. Well, I think it's I think it's underrated. I think it's underrated what you know, what WordPress has done, what you're doing with Superset, the idea that you're not just like creating this like one-off random tool that maybe some people install, but it's a really fully baked thing that is open source.
1: So let, let me give this a shot. So so I think the reason why open source, you know, in general is building blocks is that it's just easier for someone to approach it this way, right? To say maybe I'm working on a piece of software or I'm working on on a platform or something that's internal and I need the library and I'm just going to go ahead and create a building block for myself. And then this building block, I can share with the world. Um, I think it's much more involved to go and create a full-on product that works for everyone, right? So there's definitely a challenge in writing a piece of software that's going to work in multiple environments, that's going to integrate with their infrastructure. So I think logically, it just makes sense for people to share building blocks as opposed to uh, sharing full on pieces of software. You know, when you manage to put something together that is a full on product, then of course, it's, it's attractive for organization. And it's a, it's a full on solution that competes with a potentially event, vendor products. And that becomes an interesting proposal for people to to use and run. So I would say it's just like more complex and harder to do, but then the bounty or the, uh, the value proposition is also higher.
0: When I think about the trends in data engineering and consumption of BI tools on the other end of that data engineering, there are all these layers between the point of data creation and the point at which a user is consuming that data on a dashboard in front of the screen. And this has become more complex with the rise of importance in streaming data, because before you might have, you know, in the days of batch, you might have been able to get all your data and then you batch it into a visualization system. But now we have systems that are rapidly updating like if you're a, if you're a business analyst at lyft or at airbnb you want to have some dashboards that are updating in real time how has the movement from batch processing and batch data to stream processing how has that affected the the front end the dashboarding bi side of the world
1: so I think there's definitely a movement there, and I've I've seen a lot more kind of streaming computation over the the past year, and especially because I was at Lyft, and Lyft is such a real time uh, real time business, right? So it's a timely thing; it's heavily operational. We need to make sure that everything is working well right this minute, right this moment. Um, so part of it is I've observed at Lyft. I think if you look at Airbnb in context, there's still growing needs for real-time data, but I would say maybe not as much just by the nature of their business, right? But I think in general, we do see a movement towards more uh, real-time data. I think some people have been arguing that, you know, ultimately everything should everything is an unbound data set and all computation should be operating on streams. Um, I think that's a little bit controversial. You know, so, sometimes Uh, Sometimes you just don't need that, right? So if you're doing a growth and engagement type of analysis, you might not need to know exactly what happened in the last minute. But if you're looking at more operational uh, types of data sets, it becomes really important to know what's happening right now. And I've been with people on this saying that what we need from a real-time perspective often is not exactly the same dimensions and metrics as what we need in the batch world. Which, you know, I think there's some common dimensions there and there's some, some common metrics. But because of the very, very nature of that, it, it sometimes it does make sense to have different pipelines all together on the real-time front and on the batch front. One thing too that we've seen that that's like driving change there is that the tooling has got has gotten so much better, right? With much better computation frameworks like Flink and Spark Streaming you know with kafka becoming so prevalent and solid and with databases like like druid or pino it's becoming a lot more possible than it used to be to actually do this now how does that impact data visualization right so i think in data viz we've seen probably more and more of these kind of streaming charts Though I think it's not necessarily, you know, super important to have your chart, you know, tick and move to the left a little bit at every second, but that's definitely a trend to have. You know these visualizations that are you know showing what's been happening in the in the past hour also it's it's not new to have operational data sets, but traditionally these things have been served in time uh, off of time series database that typically don't offer a lot of dimensionality or slice and dicing by their very nature, and more and more we we see the the capability of being able to slice and dice on real time data, which I think is is really interesting
0: you mentioned this a little bit earlier that one motivation for creating your own BI tool was to be able to cr- connect to whatever database you wanted to. Why was that a constraint on you prior to having Superset? Why w- why was the constraint of being able to connect to certain databases you know, a, a limiting factor?
1: So at Airbnb at the time where Superset was born, we had chosen these databases. Or we were in the process of choosing what has become now Apache Druid. And we had selected, like I'd made a huge investment in Presto and off of Redshift and onto using Presto and Hive. And these databases were not super, very well supported in Tableau, which was our main data visualization tool at the time. I believe there's, there was just no ODBC driver or any sort of driver we could use from Tableau and into Presto. And Druid, as it was a No NoSQL database at the time, since then it has evolved to support SQL as well. There was just no way it would Tableau would ever probably integrate with Druid, and those were the databases that we had selected and that we wanted to work with on a daily basis. And we're just at the mercy of these vendors to make their tools work inside our infrastructure properly. So that was a, that was a driver originally. I think. Over time, that has become better. So more and more tools are connecting to more databases now. But that was an original driver. I think the motives have changed since then, and the re- the reason why Superset is relevant and interesting today, I've changed and have evolved too.
0: Superset does integrate with Druid, and we did a show about Druid recently. Why is Druid an interesting database?
1: So. Drew, it's got a lot of interesting property. I'm an ex Facebook, so I spent a few years working at Facebook, and there was this really interesting database plus front end that was tightly coupled with this database called Scuba. And Scuba is this real time, often sampled, sometimes kind of probabilistic or best effort database, right? With the guarantee of serving queries in less than a second or so. So I think for Scuba, like 90% plus of the query would take less than a second and often just millisecond. So there's a prevalence of real-time, which we touched upon. And I think like real-time in some cases, typically operational use cases is is really important. Now, slice and dice is also important. You need to be able to do these analysis where you you can group by different things, filters on different dimensions, right? Explore cubes of data or explore multi-dimensional data sets. And then I think this latency, I guess there's data freshness and data latency, but in both cases, Druid, much like Scuba or much like Pino, which is a similar database in, in this space, offer really good freshness and really good latency. And I think the thing that's really transformative to me is if you can run queries and always get an answer in less than a second or less than a few seconds, it completely changes the way you interact with data and the number of questions you're going to be able to ask. A comparison I often make is, you know, if a Google search would take, say, 30 seconds or 60 seconds or an hour, how would it impact the impact of Google itself on the world and the usage of a a system like Google? I think it would completely change the way people interact with it and the the prevalence of, of the tool itself. So having these databases that guarantee very fast results is completely transformative to, to an analyst. And of course, there's uh, concessions there, right? So, you cannot have just super speed with along with everything else that more, perhaps like more s- slower databases are able to, to guarantee. But the trade-off there is like, hey, sometimes you, you use sampling, sometimes you do probabilistic, you know, use sketches to get probabilistic results and that's good enough. And sometimes you give up on being able to do, you know, joins or sub-queries and things like that, all at the benefit of getting instant answers to your questions.
0: Druid is, is a good example of a database that is built for specific domains, specific type of queries. Could you go a little bit deeper on what are some examples of query types or use cases where people need druid
1: right so i would say the the main drivers for using druid are this the context in which you would select this database is where you care about data freshness right so it's like it's real timeness, and so this measures kind of the time to event to the time of the time from the event to the time at which you can consume and analyze this data so with a database like druid is Often counted in in seconds, and then the query latency, which is from the moment where you ask your question, how long is it going to take for you to get an answer? So for use cases where these things are important, I think using a database like Druid is is becoming more and more of an o- obvious choice. Of course, like there's a rise of data products, which we could probably do a whole show on, uh, but which 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 is this idea of you know com- modern companies are building subject specific tools to power their business, right? So at Airbnb, it might be a tool to analyze the way that search ranking is working and analyzing user search session and really understanding what's happening. Or at LinkedIn, it might be tools like, you know, who viewed my profile and and which companies are they from and and things like that. So I think we see more and more of these data products and these data products have They require to be at web scale. So they require to be kind of sub second type of latency. And they often have this component of doing slice and dicing. So those are the kind of cases where a database like Druid becomes really interesting. I think the places where it does not shine is if you want to let, say, an army of analysts to do some very deep analysis and do some complex joins and things that would typically require subqueries, then for that kind of use cases, a more advanced database engine or a more traditional database engine uh, is probably a better choice. What we started doing is having the same data sets stored both in a database like Druid and in Hive and Presto, uh, right? which share the same storage layer. So we Always have the choice of, depending on your use case, you can kind of hammer a different database engine that will uh, satisfy your use case. And sometimes you can even pivot from one to the other. So maybe your data set is sampled in Druid and your results are probabilistic to a certain point. And if you need accuracy, you'd be able to use almost the same query against a different engine and, uh, engine and just go back and forth depending on your use case.
0: In that answer, you hinted at just how expansive the use case for BI is. And I've heard this referred to as embedded BI, where you you gave the example of LinkedIn, where maybe a user logs into their account and they want to know how many people viewed their profile in recent history. This data might potentially get served from Druid, and maybe it gets rendered in some sort of nice... BI looking tool some kind of graphical tool maybe it it gives you a breakdown of where these people are their demographic information and so you're you're illustrating that you you might not only want this kind of BI and i throughput fast querying in internal tools like you also gave the example of I'm a business analyst within Airbnb. I want to see where people are querying, what they're querying, what they're entering into search. This is also something that you would want to offer as part of a UI layer to your front-end engineers.
1: Certainly. I think it's definitely something we see more and more of, and I'm kind of delighted as a, as a user of the internet to see more of these things, right, on, on Medium, if you're, you write a blog post. Uh, you're able to see how many views you're getting, how many people are reading through your what's the percentage of complete reads, right on on your blog posts. If you're on LinkedIn, you know who's your viewing your profile. and I, I, and I'm assuming that if you pay for higher tiers of services in LinkedIn, you can do even deeper analytics, you know uh, into their data as a service. You can imagine too that as a Lyft driver or as a Airbnb host, you're interested in understanding. How you're listing, or how how you're performing against perhaps your peers or people in your area. So I think this is becoming a competitive edge too for commercial like web companies, right? To share some of this data that's relevant to their their users or service provider on their marketplace or on their platform. And this, right? So, so historically, I think for this, uh, we would assume that we would know the shape of the queries. And perhaps we would pre-calculate this data and or or have some sort of streaming aggregation process that would store data in a key value store, right and that would assume that you know the shape of the queries that will hit your system. but sometimes you may not know that or you might offer a service that allows for all sorts of shapes of queries, right where the user might want to slice and dice, and you want to evolve that that offering over time and that when that's the case. You need a different type of architect, uh, architecture, a different type of database, where you know, that, and that's where Pino, Druid, or even Scuba, uh, which is not open source, that will shine.
0: There are listeners out there who all their data is in a Postgres database, or it's getting written to Parquet files, and. There there are people who are in different phases of their data infrastructure build out and maybe they don't have Druid set up. And so the idea of setting up a custom database just to be able to serve to a new custom BI layer, that might be an intimidating idea. Can you talk about the deployment process of being able to use Superset? Are there some other options that allow me to set up Superset to be used with other data infrastructure platforms?
1: Right. And, and I think there's a component, to on, on the same side for on the database side of things, right, on the platform side of things. It's pretty prohibitive, and it's hard to set up, manage, and maintain open source software, for Superset, we're trying to make it as easy as possible for people to do that, but it's it can be pretty complex with, you know, the architecture includes things like having an array of Superset worker to compute thumbnails, right? And to do things like scheduling email reports, and we need to have a caching layer and all these things. So it's it's always a fair investment to run any sort of open source platform or open source product and i think that's why we're seeing companies kind of rise to offer services and manage kind of hosted SaaS offering around around these open source products that's kind of directly relevant because i just left my previous job at lyft to go and start a company around around apache superset so that we can make it really easy for people to get superset running and to get it in a host a fully hosted way where they don't need to have, a, say, a data infrastructure team or an infra team that is spending cycle installing and just maintaining this piece of software. Similarly for Druid, there's this company called Implied that make it very kind of dead simple to go and create a cluster and scale it and use it. And I think it does make sense for the people who are building open source or for someone in the ecosystem to offer this uh, first class offering around having this managed software that's always going to be updated, that's going to be super uh, reliable and built and managed and maintained by the people who brought you uh, the open source solution.
0: Can you talk a little bit more about the plans for your company and what you would like to offer people? for, for for those people listening if you're not like in the data engineering world max is kind of an all-star he's somebody who you know people have been looking at for a long time and being like wow I really hope that guy starts a company so he can solve some of my data infrastructure problems uh, and so you've finally done it which i know there are a lot of people out there who are like yes now i only have to wait you know a few more months or a few more years until i can use whatever max is going to you know charge me money for so Tell me a little bit more about what you're going not to, not to tee you up too much, but <laughs> what are you going to be charging people money for?
1: Well, so I think the really obvious thing is to offer software as a service on the cloud, right? And to have a multi-tenant, super efficient place for people to, uh, to come and get Superset, probably for, for free at first, but then offering, have a product offering where we need to make money, so eventually to sell upper tiers of services. So we're we're still in kind of semi stealth mode, and we don't know exactly the nature of the the service we're going to offer and what we're going to charge money for. But I think what people are ready to pay for is things that will prevent them from ha- having the need uh, the need to have an infrastructure team managing maintaining uh, th- this software. So fully hosted, reliable in the cloud, perhaps s- some services around a better offering around security, authentication, flexibility around managing your data access policy and your data governance, right? And having really good audit as to like who is accessing which, which piece of data in your, your organization. I think in some cases to uh, what we've seen out of companies like uh, Databricks, Confluent, Imply right is in some cases they'll have a multi-tenant offering, so you can imagine a large cluster of say Spark running where there's uh, multiple tenants sharing resources, and in some cases we have there's these managed solutions too that are, hey you you can pay us for us to uh, go and run this infrastructure on your cloud or on a new VPC that uh, that we pair with your VPC or for your virtual private cloud. Beyond that, I think the goal of the company, much like Confluent is the strong sponsor behind Kafka, the intent is really to grow, at least for me, to to grow, say, Superset and make it a very competitive open source offering that's competitive in this space, right? And that, that lines up, you know, that looks at this very fragmented space of the the BI and data visualization, data exploration tooling and get open source to kind of win in this space or to to become significant in this space. So I would say the goals of my company are, you know, first and foremost to kind of push superset and make it something competitive and, and really appealing and just a great product. And then to have a very comprehensive easy, well-managed, well-maintained, secure SaaS offering, you know, so that people can just easily use it and get the full value out of it.
0: I want to take people through a few examples of using Superset just in case they're eager to get started and don't have access to your product quite yet. So let's say I'm running a service where I'm running a podcast and I have a data storage system that's logging all of the events of users interacting with my podcast. It logs when they start playing it, it logs when they stop playing it. I'm storing all of these these events, let's say in like Mongo, it's just in a Mongo database. And then I want to have Superset render interesting analytics on these user events. And so I, so I want to go from just having this stuff in Mongo, logging these events in Mongo and have a, a you know, Superset diff, interesting visualizations querying this data system, building a dashboard with some stats for that data. If I was to want to set that up today, what would be my my series of steps for setting it up?
1: Great. Uh, so I'll start just by saying, uh, describing a little bit what Superset does and what's, what's the candy at the end of this journey, right? Once you get your data accessible on Superset, what you get. So Superset is, so it's really a web application that runs in your organization where different users are going to be able to log in and First, to go and slice and dice data, so we have this very kind of easy to use place where you can just kind of pick your metrics, pick your the type of visualization that you want, and without writing any SQL or writing any code, you can go and apply filters and visualize, slice and dice your data, explore it, ultimately assemble uh, your your visualization into interactive dashboards. There's also, so Superset as this exploration kind of Feature than the dashboard view, and on top of that, we offer a SQL IDE. So that's a place that, where if you do uh, know how to write SQL, you can go explore your database schemas, write some SQL, and ultimately visualize the the results, and you know put them you know in dashboard and share them with your uh, share share these visualization with your team. So this is what you're going to get at the end of this journey. At the very beginning, so you're starting from data in Mongo and then probably one of the first question, one of the first thing you need to do is get your data into a more of an analytics database. So Mongo is probably not a great place to run analytics types of workloads. So you probably want to think about where you're going to store this data. So perhaps on one side, you might want to kind of scrape Mongo and export the data to Analytics Database. And here, uh, some popular choices today are things like BigQuery and Redshift and perhaps Amazon Athena. And then you probably want to ask yourself too, are you interested in real-time, yes or no, or is that something that that is important enough for you so that you will spend extra cycle dealing with real-time kind of computation and, and data streams. Uh, in any case, so you'll have to choose an analytics database and write some data pipelines. Uh, you might even need, on top of like scraping your database, you might need a little bit more of an event framework where in your application, you might want to be emitting more events, right? So on one end, you, you can think of Mongo as a place that stores the state of your application and you want to scrape that uh, periodically into the database, you might also want to have an events framework where you stream events to your database of choice. So once you have this, then it's simply probably a matter of installing Superset, configuring it, adding your connection string to this database that you've just set up, and then hammering away at it, right? So from that point, once you added the connection in superset is pretty straightforward to point to a table and to just start slicing, slice and dicing creating the visualizations that you need and then assembling those into dashboards that you can use or share with other users in your organization
0: that's kind of the greenfield, you know early stage setup process let's talk about superset at lift i think that's a different example You've got mature data infrastructure, you've got Kafka set up, it's doing some stuff, you've got a data lake somewhere, you've got more data infrastructure. Describe how Superset was used at Lyft.
1: Right, so uh, for, first I want to say it's been awesome working at Lyft. Lyft has been an awesome sponsor for Superset, and they have like really interesting data and use cases around real-time and geospatial, and they have like a really good data infrastructure team. Uh, and. And, you know, just a reliable foundation to build upon. So what the the systems or or maybe what the architecture or infrastructure in and around Superset at Lyft, maybe to describe that's on one end, there's the pipeline, there's something called analytics events where the different applications running at Lyft are emitting events. So user actions and time. So you can think of the mobile app generating events, you know, and these events somehow get, collected, they, they get sent to Kafka. And within Kafka, there's different ingestion frameworks to either send this data on, on one end to the real-time infrastructure. So that's using Apache Flink to do uh, perhaps data enrichment and data filtering and, and that sort of things. And then sending the data over to on one end Druid and on the other end to Parquet files and S3 that uh, ultimately become a viable uh, through Hive and Presto. Now, Superset at Lyft is is connected to these databases, so to Druid and to to Hive and Presto, and allow people to to just go and hammer at these things. Of course, there's a there's a layer of of airflow too, so so orchestration, or I would call it data pipeline orchestration, where a lot of the the ETL, the extraction, transformation, load of data, is orchestrated and executed. So there's always a need for taking your data, denormalizing it perhaps in some cases, enriching it, curating it, cleaning it and ultimately making it viable to the consumption layer which would would include superset.
0: The thing about BI that makes it different than some of the other areas that we explore on software engineering daily is that non-programmers are using it. So your tool is not just for programmers, it's for the data analyst the business analyst how do non programmers use superset so yeah
1: so i think where we're aiming at there is like just any information worker and i think that makes bi and and superset really interesting in ter- in terms of like how much reach it has into organizations and within these organizations right so here we're talking about open source that's like extremely visible because people uh, many people, maybe like 80, 90% of the workers in a company or in a tech company, for instance, will be information workers which do need access to some data on a daily or, or weekly basis. These tools become really prevalent. They're just for everyone. And sometimes like you know, I'll be asked, you know, which persona is superset targeting and, and really it's pretty much anyone in the organization. Right. And there's a whole spectrum of I would say data literacy in organization. There's people that are, you know, we have data scientists that are super data savvy and they know how to interact with notebooks and create tables and write very complex SQL. So that's one end of the spectrum. And the other end of the the spectrum is just someone who wants to come, uh, consume a dashboard, interact very lightly with a dashboard and perhaps asking a few of their own questions. So, with Superset, we're trying. We're really aiming at satisfying everyone. And if you do know SQL and you're 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 very data literate, we want to offer you the best tools. But also, if you if you don't know exactly what you're doing, we want to offer you also a solution to come and and just interact with data in, in a way that that is you know uh, relevant and easy. So I think it's challenging to offer these tools that that work well for for everyone but that's definitely the the holy grail and that's what we're we're after
0: there was this show we did recently with netflix about notebooks and you and i talked a little bit about this offline that show made me feel like i have no idea what is going on in the world of data science because in that episode the the guest matthew seal he just talked about how netflix has been completely overrun with the use of these Jupyter Notebooks, which are kind of a shareable software development environment. It allows you to do visualization, allows you to share the, the code, as well as the results of different uh, data science jobs that you might want to run. Uh, I'd just like to get your perspective on the changing Tool set of the exploratory data scientist or the the data scientist who's figuring out how to put a machine learning model into production and the tooling that they're using and how these sort of UI layer tools like Jupyter Notebooks or Superset are affecting their workflows.
1: That was a really interesting show, by the way, and it's very much confirming trends that I've observed over the past five years right? of just dashboard becoming more prevalent and dashboard as unit of schedule or unit of things that can be productionized for data pipelines. And also we've seen uh, a rise of notebooks as a place to define and assemble dashboards too. I think notebooks are interesting because ultimately they're the most flexible tool, or it's just code. So you can, uh, from a notebook environment, you have full access to anything that programming languages will expose. So ultimately they are as flexible as can be, the reality is there. Also, there's something prohibitive about them: is that you do need to go someplace and and write code. And you know, out of the maybe 80 to 90 percent of people who need access to data daily in organizations, a lot of these people are either not able to write code, or not interested in writing code, depending on their use cases. So, of course. If you need that flexibility, then uh, the notebooks is a great place to do that, especially in environments where notebooks are building block, right? And they're reusable components that are, uh, you know, predictable and can run in production. In other cases where you're just trying to slice and dice data, right? So say if I work at Lyft and there's a spike or there's, there's some sort of step change in the number of rides or there's something happening right now that is different than what happens usually typically typically at this time of day and I need to figure out the dimensionality of of what's happening. Firing up a notebook is probably not the the right thing to do, right? You probably just want to start from a visualization that provides some context and then easily start uh, slicing, and dicing. So, For many operations, you don't necessarily need that level of flexibility. And and that's where well-designed, you know, BI tools kind of shine, right? So it's it's more uh, the pivot table type of operation where you say, you know, group by this, filter on that, you know, drill into this dimension, this sort of things.
0: Another uh, aspect of that show that stood out to me was that the changing nature of these data roles... At a company like Netflix, so there's a cardinality of different roles that's increasing. You've got data analyst, business analyst, machine learning scientist, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. At Lyft, have you seen the expanse of new data roles? Did that stand out to you in that Netflix episode?
1: To me, it was, I think it's the model that they were talking about really matches what we've seen, what I've observed at Airbnb and Lyft, maybe more newer data roles or a way that say data engineering is evolving is to do a lot more streaming computations. But I think this is not about to change, right? And we're probably going to see a lot more kind of information workers climbing up the the ladder of complexity and abstraction. So, that means if... Perhaps a few years ago, you, you were using Excel. Maybe today you're writing a little bit of SQL. And if perhaps you, you were able to write a little bit of SQL a few years ago, now you're pushed to start interacting with notebooks and writing a little bit of code. And maybe if you're a strong data engineer you know, that has been doing this for a long time, you start doing a little bit more ML. So we see these roles kind of climbing just the ladder of, of the complexity of the work that they do. And as things get more complex, it creates opportunity for more specialization. You know, I think we're just going to see that people or companies that are successful investing more and more in data, data teams, and for these roles to specialize more as things go. One trend that's slightly different here is like the data infrastructure type of role where we're seeing some consolidation around the cloud, the cloud sorry. So that either... SaaS companies like the company I'm starting, right? So instead of having teams of people running a lot of open source software and managing it from within your organization, you you might rely more on specialists and people who really know that software to run it. Similarly with databases, right? People a lot of people are moving from either on prem or their own managing their own EC2 instances of databases, moving to things like BigQuery and just enjoying not having to manage uh, and maintain these pieces of of software.
0: And so the world of vendor selection is becoming a really confusing set of problems for a CTO or a CIO, and it's also becoming a dogfight for the infrastructure vendors. So if you're a bank and you're looking for what vendor to go with, you're looking at AWS, IBM, but also Databricks and, you know, imply what's changing in the world of vendors and vendor selection and and software infrastructure companies.
1: Yeah. And I'm I'm not sure if I'm the best person to ask this question too, but I can talk about this space and about fragmentation, right? So I think we're in an era where people are investing a lot in in data and data infrastructure and, and cloud infrastructure and there's definitely that creates kind of a gold rush and a lot of companies are popping and offering services and usually we see these these phases of kind of fragmentation followed by phases of consolidation around like the the tools that you know win the market and I I think we're still very much in a state of fragmentation an example of that is for setting up my company trying to figure out which SaaS vendors to use for things like you know, HRs or HR payroll expenses, and it's like extremely complicated to to pick anything. It's very quickly evolving too. So hopefully, we'll see some consolidation. One thing too that I say specifically about the BI space is that maybe it is okay to offer uh, within your company different tools, right? So maybe a company can have, you know, uh, Superset, Looker, you know, Tableau, and and multiple offerings. And there's pros and cons there, that, but maybe it does make sense to offer the, to your internal audiences a whole array of tool.
0: So BI is one of these verticals that's usually not win or take all. So you know there are these verticals like log management and operational analytics where you see multiple players succeeding. Like you see in the in the world of log analytics, for example, like Datadog and Dynatrace and you know. 15 other log management companies that are all doing just fine at Lyft. Did you guys standardize on vendors like that? Or did you have more of a, you know, engineers can choose what tools they want.
1: I think it's a little bit of both and it goes with the kind of the life cycle of maturity of an organization. So I think Lyft is probably entering more of a phase of consolidation on, on all the tooling that's used internally. And, and for a different set of reasons, we decided i think to to standardize and to limit the number of tools and to go with the tools that were more flexible and you know that we wanted to commit to for for the long run but it's normal in a phase of growth of a company to go and and buy all sorts of things and figure out what sticks similarly said facebook it, something similar was happening with just building tools right people were building all sorts of stuff at hackathon for instance then over time, there would be some clear winners and, and we would settle on, on a more cohesive and subset of the, the original product. So I think it's normal for organization to go through these, these phases of expansion, cons- consolidation and in different areas at different times, right? So I think like say, Lyft will cons- consolidate around their BI tools around Superset over the next like say year. But they might still be in a phase of, you know, of growth and research on other areas.
0: When you started Superset, you had spent time working on Airflow. So you had considerable open source experience. What else have you learned about open source software since you started Superset?
1: Yeah, so what have I learned on open source software? I think I've I've reused a lot of what I learned on Airflow working on Superset. One thing being to grow open source software, it's all about daily interactions and really kind of winning one user at a time through just presence, say on GitHub and processing GitHub issues, honoring the the, the pull requests that are coming in and just being doing all the things that you are required for your project to become legit, right? So it's things like having a really nice, appealing readme, you know, on on your GitHub and things like working on documentation and building the features that the community wants. Beyond this, what have I learned working on Superset? I've learned things about software foundations too, so that, you know, software foundations are somewhat important, but also can be uh, fairly distracting in an area of empowerment on one side and then friction on the other. I'm sure there's been like a lot more lessons than this, but ultimately it's about, it's about community, it's about people, it's about execution, right? It's about product. And from that perspective, it's very similar, you know, working on Superset as it was working on Airflow.
0: Question about data infrastructure. There was a time, well, I, I, mean, I guess we're still in this time, where you have certain general purpose data infrastructure tools that are being used for a wide variety of, of applications. So things like Spark, for example. You could use Spark for many of the workloads that Druid gets used for, but Druid is kind of a domain-specific tool for this i think it's typically like read only data workloads with you know high throughput and and uh, you know fast query uh response time and then you also you built you built airflow of course and people could have used other scheduling tools but you built a purpose-built scheduling tool you know specifically for the data infrastructure workloads that you were seeing are there any other domains in the world of data infrastructure that seem underserved today, where you were, you're, you would just be like, oh, I wish there was an open source tool that would solve this specific domain within data infrastructure?
1: Right. There, I think there's a handful. I'll talk about two, and one is more of a family of things. So uh, I've given this talk before that's probably online uh, that's called advanced data engineering patterns with Airflow. And really, you can remove the Airflow component of this and really just look at this talk from this idea of advanced uh, data engineering patterns. And what we're seeing is that people are building the same pipelines, data pipelines, over and over. So things there's families of pipelines that every company's build at least once, if not multiple times. Things like computing growth, accounting, and engagement metrics on a data set that's primarily user actions in time, right? Or things like, you know, an A-B testing framework kind of pipeline. Uh, are things around user segmentation, right? So, we keep rebuilding these same pipelines and really often we start from scratch. So, when I originally built Airflow, I thought people were going to start sharing these higher level constructs or these higher level abstractions on top of Airflow. And I haven't really seen that come through yet. And I think the reason why is just because there's so many assumptions in this code. It, It usually assumes that Say you use Airflow or something else, or, or that you use, you know, Spark or Hive or Presto or all of these things, and sharing this code would mean that the people res- on the receiving end would ha- would need to have a very similar infrastructure to to yours. So that's one thing we haven't seen very much. And then another ar- area that's very dynamic, I think, now that we'll see uh, solutions around are things like Amazon SageMaker. So just a way to run notebooks on Kubernetes and all of the building blocks or pieces of infrastructure that build upon this assumption. And that ties into our conversation earlier about the notebook centric kind of company or like data team where the notebook becomes the thing that you schedule and maybe the notebook becomes the thing that that you share uh, or reuse to, uh, to do data science. So Kubernetes hosted, you know, notebook kernels and containers that are reproducible and shareable. Uh, I think we'll see some really good stuff come out of there in the next few years. I think there's already solutions. I think Kubeflow and then I believe like Airbnb and Lyft are probably on the verge of open sourcing things in those areas too.
0: Awesome. Okay. Okay one last question you've written a lot about how to succeed as a data engineer just general philosophies infrastructure strategies you've given some great presentations and anybody who is a data engineer should go check those out if you haven't seen some of max's stuff already if someone is listening and they're getting started as a data engineer today what general piece of advice would you give them
1: Yeah, I've had this question before and people asking like, hey, I want to be a data engineer. What should I do? And then my journey into data engineering was like a very long journey coming from data warehouse architecture, right? It started in the early 2000s. So I have like an unconventional path to get there. I think in general, you want to follow your passions and you you want to be in tune with what your organization needs. So maybe a key is to get close to data analysts and data scientists and, and really understand what their, their daily struggles are and what kind of data structures would be helpful to them. So that's first it's like understanding the, the domain knowledge and the business problems you're trying to solve. Then about the mechanics of how to do this, uh, I think this highly depends on the environment that you're in, right? So if you're if you're in a certain environment, you might have to learn Spark. If you're in a different place, you might have to run. Vertica SQL scripts orchestrated by Airflow and some other place, it might be take a, a totally different shape. So it depends on the environment that you're in. Probably one of the first thing is like, well, join a data-driven company if you haven't already. And if you're at a driv- data-driven company, maybe find a mentor, find some use cases and learn what you need to, to learn to have an impact. Maybe one or two things. I don't. I haven't really followed the literature very much, but I know the Kimball books. So, Ralph Kimball wrote in the 90s, I think, about data warehousing and, and star schemas and the dimensional modeling, which I think some of that lit- literature is still relevant nowadays, but not 100% fully still relevant. But I would say most of it helps to put things in perspective. So that might be more for someone who's done some data engineering, who's looking to understand a little bit more of the fundamentals. And that could put some things in perspective.
0: Max, thank you for coming back on Software Engineering Daily.
1: It's been a pleasure. Yeah, it was a pleasure to be on the show and uh, be happy talking to you again sometime.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, well, there's so much. I actually had a lot of questions around like data engineering, data infrastructure, but I restrained myself. I kept it, <laughs> I
1: kept it mostly to superset. <laughs> Well, I'd be happy to come back on the show and talk about all these things.
0: Okay. Hey, and one other thing, you're hiring. So people who want to potentially work with you, where should they go? Right. So I'm starting a superset company.
1: So people interested in working on open source software around data visualization, dashboarding, offering tools for analysts, data scientists, you know, or anyone who works with data, we're going to be building some some really exciting things and push superset forward. So probably the best place to reach out is to connect with me on LinkedIn and, and send me a quick message and I'll be super happy to to connect and talk about what we're doing.
0: Okay. Max, thanks for coming on the show. It's always a pleasure.
1: Thank you so much. Wow.